Welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through our experiences of M&A projects where we've been involved and we unpack the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose is simply to leave you with valuable lessons that you can use in your M&A projects. And so let's not waste any more time and get this podcast underway. Hi, Robert. How are you going there, down in Melbourne? We are good, thanks, Toby. It's fairly pleasant here. It's getting colder, of course, and darker, but no matter business as usual. Now, things are good. Things are good. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's only blue skies and uh, good to see all that rain uh, behind us. And uh, as you say, we're moving uh, gently into winter because you do feel it's getting a bit cooler now. We switched the heating on for the first time ah, in the past few days. There you go. There's a sure sign, isn't there, when you switch the heating on. Heated blankets next. So, Rob, I, I think we've got three big topics to discuss. And one of them is, first of all, about myself. I should say it's a rant, but it's a gentle rant about culture in itself and in, in relationship to M&A. Then we have a uh, conversation with Daniel, and he's got some interesting things to talk about compliance, which I think will be yep. something we could talk about. And then finally, your quotes from uh, your previous boss, Les Heyman. And I've heard them, and they're great quotes as well. So if you don't mind, let me kick it all off with uh, culture. Yeah, please do, because that's one of my favourite topics anyway. So, uh, and, and if it's a rant, even better. Uh, well, Robert, I suppose if, if it's a rant, let, let, let me put it this way. Look, culture is in m Look, I mean, it's a pretty obvious thing. It is incredibly important. And it go, yep. almost goes without saying that it's important. We know it. The challenge, I think, is that we tend to, and I've seen it happen many times before, we look at it the wrong way culture when we're doing an m a deal and, and integrating an, a, a deal and i think okay. it's fundamentally if i was to put it simply, that culture for me at least is, is not something that is tangible it's very much an outcome it's the result of various things happening and so culture is not something that you can inherently manage it's something that evolves or comes as a result of various things you do and so if you're going to be successful in managing culture change, it's no point talking about culture in broad terms because it's not going uh, to no, get you anywhere. No, no, I think we've spoken before, and I think we both agree that culture can be defined as a set of behaviours. Yeah, and, and I think what you've got to do is you've got to say, well, what are the behaviours that you've got presently what do you got in yep. your firm in your target yep. business and what are the behaviors that you want as a result of this integration or this merger that you're doing and it sounds complicated but really and truly it is quite simple and and i just don't often get the option to see it done all that well because all i think you've got to do with with the culture is just break it down break it down into Process, business rules, technology, roles, responsibilities, org chart. I'm not going to go through them. But cultures manifest itself in various things, whether it's the remuneration, the way um, you're structured, and you break all those various things. And you can describe culture 
very clearly, very precisely, quite scientifically, just by breaking it down to the various low-level components that makes up a culture in an organisation. I'm going to add a layer of complexity into this, and I think it's going to be a topic for an, an, another podcast. Mm. I look at culture at two different levels. There's driving culture through behaviour, and the classic one I use is sales organisations. Yeah. So the way that you compensate and the way that you measure mm. a sales organisation actually influences the culture. Yeah. The other level that I talk about often in culture is when you get into cross-border deals mm. and you've suddenly got an Australian company on one side and a Japanese company on the other side coming together in, a, in an M&A and mm. of course there you've got many different cultural levels of the way that things are perceived or seen mm. that you've got to deal with. Mm. That's the level of complexity that I think we should unpack in another podcast. Well, well what you're yeah, talking about yeah. here, I think, is the culture that takes place between two consenting organizations, but you can have differing behaviors that, that put them at odds with each other. Is, is that fair? Well, yeah, I was actually going to say it a little bit more sort of straightforward, because I think all, to, all I'm saying here is you just took, took, think of behaviours as a basically a set of levers that you can press, yep. okay? And what we've got to do is just simply identify what those levers are and then choose three, four, not too many because it's far yep. too complicated, the ones you think are going to give the biggest impact. It could be remuneration. It could be a combination of remuneration org structure or it could be a combination of systems. It could be certain business process but whatever they are you choose the ones that will have that multiplier effect or the biggest impact in terms of business performance and productivity let me see if i can throw an example at you that's just okay. come straight into my head yep and see if we're on the same page okay i remember working with a company and they turned around and they said we want to change the way that we are perceived internally and externally and to do that, we want to ensure that we give all of our customers a guaranteed quote on our products and services within 48 hours, period. Yeah. Right? And it was an engineering company, so there were yep. quite a few boxes to tick and approvals yep. and so on and so forth. But they set out to be known for being able to give a valuable quote that they would stand by within 48 hours turnaround from a request from a customer yeah that, that's is that a good example of what you're yes talking it is about? and i would call that the opportunity to order process it's a process yeah. thing and what you're Correct. doing is you're looking process is one of those levers in culture yep so you're looking at the process lever not the skills and knowledge one not the performance not the communications not others no. it is a process so this is the lever your, the one in your example is opportunity to order, and you are engineering that process so it can work within what are the quote within forty eight hours? Did you say? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you do that, and the and your basically the culture that you're looking for will emerge as a result of that. And of course, you're going to drive you're going to drive the skills from that yeah, as well exactly. because yeah, yeah, yeah. people have got to be more reactive. They've got to be quicker to the mark. 
and you've got to organize the information that you're going to feed into that exactly. process exactly. much more efficiently. Exactly. That, but okay. that's a good example because there you're actually doing very specific things. We're not dealing with intangible stuff like, oh, we've got to change our culture and be 48 hours and that sort of No, no, yeah. no, 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 none of that kind of stuff. Let's just have a look at the process itself that, that yep. go into the opportunity to order and break it down and say who does what, when, how, who. And there, as a result, you are changing not just the process, but the result, which is a culture of a fast turnaround. Okay, let me throw one more in. I dealt with a, a merger acquisition not long ago. Mm. Uh, two different or technology organizations, two different sales cultures. Mm. The one on the left-hand side had what I call a kill-and-run mentality. Yeah. The idea to the salespeople was get out there, find a customer, acquire the customer yep. at any cost, right? Close the deal and then run on to the next one. Yeah. And all of their leadership team were remunerated accordingly. Yeah. Right. On the right hand side of the deal, it was what they called a secure and nurture. In yep. other words, understand your customer, nurture them, build a solid relationship, yep. right? And then grow and maintain that relationship over time. Yeah. And they were such opposing methodologies, if you like, yeah. in the way they went to market, they were clashing seriously. And we had to do some absolute serious surgery yeah. across both organization structures to uh, to actually make it work. That's another good example, isn't it, what you're talking well, about? Well, exactly. But I, I'd say, well, the, my response to that would be, the, what's the overall sales strategy? In other words, are you going to have yeah. a So what is the sales strategy? And then the next question is, what are the target behaviors that you're looking for that would support that strategy? Yeah, then and, and it, from, from my expertise, yeah. the compensation plan becomes one of the levers that you could use to force or motivate that behavior. Well, indeed. So what are the target behaviors? List them all down. It's This is quite... This, you can really do this quite a, in a very methodical way. You can almost do yeah. it like a checklist. You go down the list and you can say, yes, remuneration. How strong a lever is that? That's quite a strong lever. Well, let's go ahead and use that one. Let's influence. Yep. You're not, because ultimately we're talking potentially about 20, 30, 40, 60, 70, 80 levers you can potentially press here. But what are the ones that are going to give you the biggest impact? Which ones are going to have a disproportionate impact on? company performance and so remuneration might be that behavior or that lever you can press to influence the behaviors you're looking for and let me just follow that through because i think i've picked up your thread here yeah i think what you're going to say is that once you've pulled one of those levers and you influence something at the macro level that by nature then flows down through other sub-processes and sub-parts of the business yeah. Yeah. because they are essentially either forced to comply with that new process well, it, it lever becomes, or whatever. It becomes a modus operandi, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, but, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a new no, no, I, I, I like this because to go back to the beginning of the conversation, what you were saying was that culture is often referred to as this sort of intangible, fluffy... Yeah thing yeah. that yeah. we're going to change yeah. and of course HR I'm sorry to 
bag HR departments, <laughs> but they, they love this sort of stuff. You know, yeah. you can have all sorts of think tanks and uh, yeah. groups of people about feelings and, you know, yeah, behaviours. Exactly, exactly. But you're, well, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would say that in that when we talk about culture, when the way we're talking about it now, it is specific and measurable. Yes, yeah. And, and there are operational levers that are already in place and it's simply a question of leveraging excuse the pun leveraging those exactly to affect the change that you want i like it i but like you know it. but interesting as we've been speaking there robin and for our listeners you notice the nature of the conversation we're having it's very very purposeful very targeted very specific very measurable very methodical yeah. even it's very yeah. much a, a way you can actually engineer the outcomes you're looking for by just great simply word. breaking it down. Well, great word, engineer the outcome, because essentially what you're saying is if you choose the compensation lever, yep. you can decide whether to pull it one or two notches forwards, Correct. Yep. and you can then correlate that to the outcome that you believe that's going to achieve. Exactly. It's an engineering problem in many respects, and it takes that engineering yeah. mindset yeah. I like, to... I like um, it. to to get the results you're looking for. And sometimes, like all things, it's, there's an element of experimentation. You, you're pressing these levers. What's the result? Well, maybe we press the lever too far. Maybe we've got to press another lever. You see what I mean? It, it becomes that. Yeah. And you're measuring the outcomes, the behavioral outcomes, and seeing you realize, you of course, that, fine-tuning. Yeah, but you realize, of course, that we've upset a whole load of people right now. We'll be sitting there going, no, 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 no you've got to do, you've got to do no. cultural <laughs> assessments and behavioral assessments. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, there you go. <laughs> no, I actually, I actually like that. I think there's some good, good merit in that. Okay. Um, well, that was it. Beyond by the Rob, I wasn't going to. It was a gentle rant, but it's some. It's just no, an observation it's... I made, and and I've seen it over the years, and I, I just somehow, it, it's something that I see happen in organisations, and I think sometimes they're just tackling it the wrong way. I think it's a bloody good one because, to your point. If you mention culture in a conversation with M and A people, most people drift off towards the sort of fluffy, you know, it becomes a fluffy feeling. topic. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, have to be yeah. fluffy, and, and it's it's not be specific. <laughs> oh. yeah. I love it. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, now right. now let's let's move on because yeah. I had a conversation with Daniel from Killer Williams. Yep. And uh, he's pre-recorded uh, a five-minute segment with us talking about compliance. And I thought I'll put it into today's podcast for people to listen to. Yeah. But the broad essence of what Daniel's talking about is he says that compliance can have many forms. And in, mm. in some companies, it can be licenses to operate. It can be yeah. compliance with things like FDA compliance, for example, yeah. in the pharmaceutical industry. In the transport industry, it can be road transport safety board compliance, yeah. etc. And a lot of these are compliances that, well, if I take the transport industry, which I know well, hmm. right? compliance can be down to individual vehicles yeah. that your vehicle is. And, and as you build your fleet, they don't all need to be licensed on the same date, but yeah. it will be an ongoing process. Yeah. And of course, if you've been negligent and you've got a vehicle that hasn't had its compliance renewed, mm. that vehicle's operating illegally. Yeah. 
We talk often about ISO 9000 compliance, the quality assurance standard, right? And there's hundreds of other compliances, building regulation compliances, operational compliances, health and safety compliances. And of course, in M&A, when you you suddenly started into an M&A process, and I would suggest this is a, a serious due diligence issue, is is that that's almost one of your early checkpoints yes, during yes. due diligence. Okay, we need to make sure all these licenses. And I, the more I think about it, software licenses, technology licenses, yeah, yeah, yeah. all yeah. of this is a huge list that needs to be picked off and checked. Yeah. Not only of what licenses are current, but you've also got to look at it from the view that says, well, hold on a second. Here's a license which will actually expire before we get this deal completed. So how do we deal with that mm. and so on and so forth? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure what, what, you've, you've come across these, no doubt, in the... Yeah, yeah it, 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 it's interesting insofar as it, this is like fundamentals when it comes to due diligence. If, you, if you're going to look, and the first thing you're going to check for, certainly from a legal perspective, is to make sure that the licenses, what the state of those licenses are, and make sure that you're complying to whatever those licenses are, so the compliance aspect of that, and that there's continuity there. So there's no element of business disruption or potential business disruption as a result. This yeah. is pretty fundamental, Rob, you know, really and truly. I, you know, well, I, you I, know. I mean, look, we, with all, all due respect, I mean, you, this is the very first stuff you do because I tell you what, I mean, you should be shot in an empty stomach if you, if you go ahead and miss out fundamental compliance blooming things, you know, during a DD process. Well, it's a couple of weeks since I recorded the conversation with Daniel and I'm yeah. going to just put it onto the end of this okay. and let, let people listen to it and make yeah. their own judgments. But what I think Daniel, if I recall, what he was saying was they'd actually got a keen buyer mm. round the table and then this stuff was uncovered and it was uncovered because the company that was being sold had basically been negligent. Well, uh, they, they'd assumed that licenses were were, were yeah. for life sort of thing. And, and Look, I mean, you know, whilst I say it's fundamental, it has to be done and it's bleeding obvious at the same time, I recognise that these things do fall through the cracks and that people perhaps are blind to what licences are required, what are the requirements of those licences, are those licences being fully paid up, so on and so forth. But that's what due diligence is all about, and just making sure that all those things are, are there and present. And one hopes and prays that the DD process doesn't cover any anomalies and you don't find that sort of thing out after the deal is done and the transaction well, is completed. Uh, the, the other thing from my point of view is that when you do come across these licenses, a good practitioner will look at the business and say, this license is due for renewal one year from now, mm. right? What is the likelihood that the company with its current operating conditions is going to be approved for the renewal? Because mm. sometimes things change. Indeed, yes. And, well, we, and, there's lots of, lots of things can change, whether it's your credit rating, whether it's your staffing, because certain staff are required to operate a license. If you lose those staff, when you can't operate the exactly. license, all yeah. that sort of thing. 
Yeah. yeah. And it's quite when you when you start to unpack it, it's quite a it, Yes, yeah, indeed, indeed. It's yeah. complex. It's it's about attention to detail, isn't it? Yes, it is. I, I I'd agree. And I think it comes down to the fundamentals of due diligence that when if you do go through this process, you have potentially thousands of questions and literally just hundreds alone on compliance. And you literally yep. do have to tick them off just to make sure, because I think it's a very much a cross in the T dot in the I exercise. Ask the question. Don't assume anything. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing that's just occurred to me is that there's what I call the bleeding obvious and then the ones that can come up and bite you. So you might go into a pharmaceutical company yeah. And you go, yeah, well, of course, FDA compliance and all that sort of thing, absolutely. Yeah. It's right up there, you've got to. And those would be what I call bleeding obvious. Yeah. Right? But, of course, if you've ignored minor compliance issue yeah. on how you deal with hazardous waste, and let's say that's been allowed to slip, yeah. it can still have the same impact of stopping the operation. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden, you're not compliant with the way that Things yeah. are supposed to be done. Yeah, indeed. And indeed. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think as to your point, if any company gets to a point and they suddenly find out the compliance is an issue, whoever got involved in the DD needs to be lined up and shot. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you want? I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is this is this is in line with you know getting up and forgetting to put your underpants on. This, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, I think it's along the lines of. Not not understanding how much working capital the company has, or all that sort of thing. Like it's yeah. it's pretty fundamental. And, and I like I like you your you, go on. I I, I like your uh, description of it. It's down in the weeds. It's a detail. There's thousands of questions that you need to ask, uh, and every one of them has to be answered. It is. It is. And look, I'm sure you've done this before, Robert. I certainly have. I've got my little swag of due diligence questions on and, and yeah. against every topical topic imaginable and compliance alone i probably have a few hundred and i simply just say check 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 i i compare the the analogy i often use is if you're going to buy a used car yeah right and there's a whole checklist of things you know do the indicators work do the headlights work exactly. you know are the it's, tires it, in good it, condition it is a bit like that you know, yeah it is you do the standard checks and then you do the more detailed ones. But you do the standard checks yep. first because they often lead up to, ah, okay, now I need to go down and probe a little bit more deeper in this area. But there's a, you start off with a standard suite of checks, whether it's legal, whether it's regulatory, compliance, HR, marketing, finance, and the list goes on. That's where experience comes in. That, yes, you can give a junior a list, yeah. but an experienced practitioner went, as you said, they, they they can do the tick, 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 tick. But the experienced practitioner goes, yeah, but hang on a minute. I'm working in X industry. Yes, exactly. What about this, this, and this? Yeah, because uh, so, one question begats another question. So, yep. And you go down the path. No, good one. Good one. Okay. Uh, now, I'll load Daniel's session into this podcast now so people can listen what he has to say. And, of course, for our listeners, we'd appreciate your thoughts and feedback. If you've got any comments, let us know. Give us a serve if you like. Uh, I'm sure you'll find us quite ready to respond. So, without any more ado, let me introduce Daniel Levy from Kidder Williams. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. 
we've got an important topic to talk about today, which is compliance. And I've got to say that I've seen my fair share of horror stories of companies that need to be both legally compliant, operationally compliant, and in many cases have got regulatory compliance to deal with. And in many cases, they pay lip service to it, and then it comes back to bite them further on down the track. And I think you're going to expand on that. You've probably got an example to share with us around compliance. So uh, let me hand it over to you, Daniel. Sure, Rob. I've got numerous examples. I mean, compliance is quite a broad topic. From my perspective, when people think about what are the key deal breakers or key issues on M&A transactions, they're thinking about earnings, growth, maintenance of key employees. But probably compliance is not something that is necessarily front of mind when people think about key potential deal breakers on on an M&A transaction. Unfortunately, from where I sit, we've had poor compliance cause really serious issues on quite a few M&A transactions. And in one case, it was terminal. And I might might mention that example. Fortunately, or unfortunately, this business no longer exists, so I can probably give a little bit more detail than I would otherwise without naming it. But this was quite a large food manufacturer. It supplied the major retailers and it had grown by the time we were got involved so a long time ago the business had grown exponentially and the company had done what it believed was the right thing to do which was every time it wanted to expand its factory footprint they went to the local council got approval for the growth plans etc cetera, etc cetera. but what they didn't realize and what came out midway through a process was that the company didn't hold a license and that license was a key license. In fact, it held the license, but the license was very much out of date. And what it meant was, arguably, the business shouldn't have been operating. So it was operating illegally. It was in breach of its insurance. So if there was a product recall or, God forbid, an end user had choked and died consuming one of my client's products, they were totally exposed and totally unprotected. It meant that they were in breach of their terms of trade with all of their customers. So if one of the customers or one or more of the customers had found out, they would have stopped trading with them straight away. It would have spread like wildfire around the industry and they would have been put out of business overnight. And what that all boiled down for us was that there was no way that uh, any acquirer was going to buy this business without this key licence. It was just too big a risk to bear. Let me just stop you on that one because... I mean, I've come across lack of compliance in business. A classic one was a company that went for ISO 9000 certification. They paid lip service to it. They got all the usual certificates in reception, but there was nothing behind the scenes. And so when it actually came to looking at the ability for them to comply, it was non-existent. But in your case, there's a lack of license here. They haven't got a license to be able to do what they actually do. Where where does that fault lie, Daniel? Well, that was the interesting point. There was a lot of finger pointing. And ultimately, there was disbelief that they actually needed to have the license. It was just out of date, very out of date. In the end, it was the the owner who said, "Well, well, it sits with me and I don't think we need it. I've been dealing with the council. They've got a great relationship with the council. I'm doing everything right. And in fact, it ended up resulting in the lawyers having to convince the client that there was an issue. So the problem was is that we'd actually introduced, unfortunately, a very 
serious acquirer at that point. I was an offshore acquirer. They were willing to pay a fantastic premium for this business. But we basically had to tell them that the process was being put on hold for an indefinite period of time. Yep. And it took my client uh, unbelievably a year to update, not get the license. They had the license, but to update that particular license. And by that time, the acquirer had moved on. They'd purchased yep. something else and were no yep. longer interested. Exactly. So, you know, this would have been a deal of a lifetime for my client, but because they just weren't aware that they had this particular license had, had, was now out of date, they, they lost the sale. And that's the thing I find with businesses. Compliance is, you don't just do it once and it's there forever. Compliance often requires you to go through audits. Sometimes licenses can have a duration of two to three years and they have to be renewed. And you would think that most businesses would have uh, a mechanism for picking that up and knowing in advance what licenses and certifications and regulations need to be renewed. So it sounds like something's fallen through the cracks here. And then on top of that, the owner of the business has basically waved his hand and said, nah, it's not important. We've got great relationships. We don't need it. And it's, it's clearly come back to bite them big time and they've, they've lost out. That's right. Look, I think this was a perfect case of you don't know what you don't know. And to me, it, it highlights that compliance is a very broad area, but it you know, is. And I'm just sort of picking an example of license, but using that as an example, where you've got a business that is heavily dependent on permits and licenses, you can't necessarily rely on your internal staff to one, tell you, do I have all the licenses and permits I need to run the business? And two, critically, in this case, are my permits and licenses up, up to date? So you really yep. need someone external yep. to come in and do a periodic review would be my suggestion. And in this case, if my client had done that, they would have got onto it probably well before we were even you know, involved in the process. Yeah, and I, I agree. That would be my advice as well, that you need a mechanism to do a periodic review. And again, you don't just do it once and go, tick, that's okay. It's something you might do every two to three years. And the more compliant an industry needs to be, the more regulatory control is put on a, an industry, the more important it is to do those sort of things as just part of normal housekeeping. I think that's a, that's a great example, Daniel, of how it can go wrong. As you say, it's nobody's particular fault. This is just simply, in this case, fallen through the cracks. And then when it's been raised, it's been treated as not sufficiently important. But of course, now you've got a sale in the process, a very lucrative sale. And it's it's put the whole thing completely, well, it's reversed the whole thing because the renewing the license, as you say, took a year. And the acquiring business has sort of gone, nah, sorry, we've found something else bright and shiny over here, and they've moved on. So I think that's a great example. It's a, an early warning to anyone that compliance needs to be treated carefully, and you need to put it under the microscope in your business. And to Daniel's point, make sure that you call in a third party that can do a complete compliance check across your business periodically. Is that a good summary, Daniel? Yeah, I think so, Rob. That's that's exactly what I'd be, be recommending to my clients. Daniel, it's been a pleasure as always having you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. 
Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Now I'm back, Toby, and uh, that was quite a good session with Daniel, so it'd be interesting to see what people think of that. I'm, I'm going to finish off with Les Heyman quotes, if okay, uh, that's okay Excellent. with you. And yeah. As usual, I've picked three from the 100 pieces of advice from senior managers. And again, I think there are, these are all sagely and good advice, and they're just simple, mm. but if you just stop and pause for a minute and think about them. They are very good things to reflect on and consider how well you do this yourself. So, number one, if you can't explain something in just a few sentences to an outsider, it's too complex. Mm. That's good. No, that's, that's, that's a good one. It's, it, don't have to explain that any further. That is, that no. is it, no. right? This one I love because I've had so many experiences of this. Many senior people think they are great speakers. Most aren't. Practice, <laughs> practice is key. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Very good. I've got a list in my head of senior people that I know think they're great speakers and they bloody well aren't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the final one is, uh, again, a very simple one. Don't beat around the bush. Be specific about what you mean. Vagueness is confusing to your audience. A bit like what we had a discussion on culture, because I think it yeah, be it very is. vague. You've got to be specific about it. You have. Break it down to absolute specifics that people can understand, touch and feel. Yeah. And, yeah. That. Toby, as always, it's a good one. Do you want to wrap up for us? Yes, indeed. So, Robert, look, great conversation. Let me just uh, round up what we've just been talking about. Look, I had a kind of a gentle rant about culture and and actually just to concur with Les Heyman's quote just then, need to be specific. And uh, then we had a good conversation around uh, compliance. And, of course, it'd be good to interesting to hear da Daniel as well. Very important topic, particularly when it comes to due diligence and finally of course the Les Heyman quotes which is always good I love yep. I love those each of those quotes they're very good indeed and uh, nice and simple concise so yep. without anything more uh, Robert that's fine for me that's a wrap up for me and a wrap up for you as well I should imagine it is and we'll be back next week with uh, more podcasts for M&A War Stories it's been a pleasure as always Toby yep Likewise. enjoy your day and okay. bye for now goodbye